Hey everyone, welcome to my new podcast, the Alternate Oscars Podcast. I'm your host, Gabe Warren, last name starts with a G, and with each episode, I will invite a special guest and we will run down our alternate Oscars list, based off the category list that I have fashioned. We will compare and share our thoughts on each other's lists, and compare them to the actual Oscars from whatever year we're covering. A few disclaimers before we officially begin, though. First off, this podcast will not just celebrate what our favorite films of any given year were, but we'll also analyze the context of the Oscar year we're discussing. What was notable or important about that? To that end, we will be following the reminder list of eligible releases, what was eligible each year for the Oscars. These lists can be found on the website called And the Oscar Goes To. I will be changing the amount of categories that we have as the years go by, as that ties into understanding why the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences added or removed a category to begin with. Also, even though there are some years that honor two consecutive years, we will not be doing that on this series. I just feel like that would be a bit of a disservice to both years and kind of confusing, at least to me. The rules I've set up are sort of complicated, but as the series goes on, they should become easier to understand. With all that said, let's get started on this very first official episode, honoring our favorite films of 1928. And joining me as my first guest on this inaugural official episode is James Brown. You may know him on Twitter as that classic movie guy. And as such a Twitter name suggests, he is a big fan of classic movies and like me, knows a lot when it comes to Oscar history. Welcome, James. It's an honor to have you on this podcast. It's an honor to be here. Hello, Gabe. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. It's, um, I'm really excited to, dig, to dive into this year to talk about our what films we've nominated and me other interesting too. facts about this year. Yeah, I have no one to talk about movies from 1928 with, so this will be a treat. Yeah. Um, so let's just dive into our set of nominees. So starting in reverse order with art direction, I'll just list my nominees, say some things about them. And after we've gone through all our nominees, we'll list the winners. And after I've said my, um, thoughts on each category, you'll take your turn. So... For my nominees for Best Art Direction, I have The Circus, The Crowd, The Last Command, Street Angel, and The Wind. Going through each of them, I think The Circus makes its titular setting a very fun, funny, exciting, captivating, and at times terrifying place to um be in. As for the crowd, I really like the scope that that movie gives the American dream, as well as the oppressiveness of 
settings such as the office space. You can really see how a film like The Crowd would influence something like The Apartment um, with its um, depressing and gloomy office spaces and how the buildings look. It just encapsulates the American dream in such an in such a clearly influential way. The Last Command, um, its art direction really um, emphasizes the sort of Hollywood meta context, as well as the tragic melodrama of a fallen um, empire ruler for Street Angel. Um, it's again a very um, sad melodramatic experience and the art direction um really reflects that with things like the um large staircase and the way the houses look as for the wind um it really brings the western to life with its barrenness its emptiness the um dilapidated houses. It's just stunning to look at. You go next, James. Cool. Yeah, those are some great nominees. And what I love about them is, is that I have very little overlap with you, which just kind of goes to show um, how strong the silent era was, um, visually, and, and just how much had to be accomplished um, just through visuals alone. Um, and through set design and artistic direction um, it, to compensate for the lack of sound. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, watching a lot of silent movies, I definitely agree that they really had to make a strong impression with how they looked. Yeah. Because they did, still didn't have dialogue at that point. Yeah. And there um, is a lot of visual, uh, a lot of very impressive visual storytelling especially in the best silent movies. Yeah. And in many ways, um, I find silent movies is, is it's, it's cinema in its purest form, right? Like motion pictures, like that's what the silent era was. They were these beautiful images, these beautiful pictures that moved and had life to them. Like it was, it was it's cinema at its truest essence, I feel. And that's kind of why I love the silent era so much in general. Definitely, yeah. same here. Um, so, um, do you want to list your nominees now? Sure, yeah. So, uh, for best art direction, I, uh, nominated The Garden of Eden, uh, Sadie Thompson, Steamboat Bill Jr., uh, The Wind, like you, and Wings were my five nominees. And, uh, I'm just kind of going through each one. The Garden of Eden, uh, is, is just one of the most, uh, grand and elegant, uh, art direction i think from the 1920s in general maybe uh how there's like that cd cabaret at the beginning and then they they go off to i believe it's vienna with the grand ballrooms and the actual garden of eden itself which is almost like paradise um parent of paradise incarnate it's it's beautiful it's incredible and lewis milestone did a great job uh uh crafting that that whole movie um sadie thompson is simple it's simple they're on like one island hut the entire movie um 
and we get the exterior every now and then they're outside but it's it's a movie that in its simplicity uh, communicates so much and i don't think any of it would have worked if the art direction wasn't quite as authentic as as it was um steamboat bill jr um really just thinking of that third act where the storm blows in and kind of the entire set falls apart um and just kind of watching it you're just you're watching it amazed and and the set falls apart so beautifully and so perfectly and i was i kept wondering how many times they had to film everything because yeah it's like did was it designed to fall apart and it's just an incredible work of engineering almost um, as well as art design. Um, the Wind, I second everything you said. It's just such a beautiful movie. Uh, the way the, the way the sand blows. And um, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. And you're, it, it, you're right, it really kind of birthed the aesthetic of, of the Western genre. Um, it's a great movie in general, actually. And Wings, um, yeah, just kind of, um, Everything that happens on the ground uh, just looks so good and is designed so perfectly. I'm thinking of the swing uh, that Richard Arlen and his, his, his beloved are on at the beginning and the car that Clara Bow paints on and all the dog fights and, and no man's land. And um, yeah, just a really, really beautifully uh, constructed movie. It definitely is. Um... I actually haven't seen Steamboat Bill Jr. or The Garden of Eden, but um, from how you describe them, they both sound like really interesting movies that I'm looking forward to checking out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Garden of Eden in particular is a movie that's it's it's pretty imperfect, but I think why it's endured so long is because of just how well it was done. It's, it's I can see that. Um, but yeah, that's another really good set of nominees that you've chosen. Um, you as well. So, so for next up is best cinematography, and my nominees are the crowd, the last command, Sadie Thompson, Street Angel, and Wings. Again, um. What at least four of the, what at least three of these movies, maybe four, have in common is a sense of large scale scope. Um, because with wings, they um, um, they have to lend, they have to really capture the intensity of the dog fights, and um, the sense of how a war movie should be filmed. And beyond that, there are just so many inventive techniques being utilized throughout. You can see why a film like Wings has endured even more than some people might realize. Um, because watching it, you can see how it's influenced so many other war movies, particularly in the aerial dogfight scenes. Um, as for Street Angel, I think I mentioned the staircases, but they're lensed beautifully, and there's just a heavenly glow that 
I often associate with Frank Bozage movies, and this is no exception. Um, the movie itself um, has its imperfections, but the way it looks is just gorgeous. For Sadie Thompson, um, like you said, it um, it is very simple, but simplicity um, seems to give way for authenticity, and the way it's shot, from the way Sadie Thompson is shot, to the way the island itself is shot, it just looks immaculate. You get the sense that they are... Um, they are just desperate to get off this island, but have to make do with what they have in the moment. And that's in large part to George Barnes's work in the cinematography. As for The Last Command, the things that stick out to me the most are that train sequence, the snow, the way Emil Janning's face is photographed. It all looks glorious. As for the crowd, the way it is filmed really gives a sense of the American dream at its most idealistic through the eyes of the protagonists. And um, that one shot of um, the main character, I think his name's Henry, um, though I could be misremembering, um, the way he looks up at that building really gives a sense of, um, scope to everything that he is dreaming for, and it's almost a terrifying shot, but it is just such, um, an ingraining, um, piece of imagery that really encapsulates the idea of trying to make it big in a city and just the American dream in general. Totally, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Those are some good choices. Yeah. I had to really think hard about these. Um, I had some others in mind, like, um, the circus, and but at the end of the day these were the ones that i ended up on yeah yeah those are good um yeah i have to confess i haven't seen street angel but um i wish i had included sadie thompson in my in my choices sadly it didn't make the cut but sadie thompson i second everything yeah some tough choices yeah so what are your nominees? What are my nominees? I, uh, I have a lot of similar ones too. I think we just differ on two, two movies. Um, the Crowd, The Docks of New York, The Last Command, Lonesome, and Wings were my five choices for best cinematography. Uh, shall I chat about them a little bit? Sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with uh, everything you said about The Crowd and The Last Command. Um, yeah, especially um, with the crowd, with when he's looking up at the building and and all that thing, all that stuff um, that uh, uh, King Vidor does with the camera at the beginning. 
And the last command, that train crash is spectacular. Uh, even better than the train crash that happened in uh, The Greatest Show on Earth, like, 20-something years later. I've been seeing that movie, but... It's trash. <laughs> the best part is the train crashes. Um, and even then, that, that was like 20-plus-something years later. And however much advances in technology, and, and the last command is still more spectacular in many ways. And yeah, when he's in the snow and, and just Emil Jannings is, was just such an expressive actor. And, um, it was. Yeah, Joseph von Sternberg really um, just, yeah, just really relishes in his face. Um, um, if I can interject for a moment, yeah. um, just, I was just thinking, I still have yet to see the Blue Angel, which I really want to see, um, and also, I'm just thinking, how could Cecil B. DeMille, like, screw up a train crash sequence? Like, he was from the same era of filmmaking as King Vidor, and this was 20-plus 20, 20 years after um, the crowd, so I think you would be able to get that right. But then again, I haven't seen the movie, so who am I to make that judgment? I mean, he so, gets yeah. it. He gets it kind of. He gets it right, but but you have to you have to be impressed that that the one in the last command is just as impressive with with so much less to work. Oh, with. I said King Vidor. I meant von Sternberg. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, that was totally a totally a sympathy Oscar, uh, for that movie. Yeah. Um, anyway, going back to 1928, um, and again, yeah, just Wings, uh, you, you said it was influential in kind of one of the first movies that comes to mind, not so much uh, visually, but um, narratively, is Pearl Harbor, is kind of just like a, a really l less quality version of the plot of Wings, and even the aerial stuff in Pearl Harbor is much less impressive, to be honest, with all that CGI they had, somehow, actually, William A. Wellman filming those, those dogfights is just so much more stunning and William A. Wellman if I can go on a tangent I think is just one of the most underrated directors in cinema and I think he was revolutionary he changed a lot in general not just with Wings but um, he pretty much invented the disaster genre with the high and the mighty and um, kind of those small intimate morality plays with the oxbow incident um, he was an incredible director, and uh, he doesn't get enough credit, I don't think. So, I agree um, about Wings. There are, are there are a lot of Willie May Woman movies I haven't seen, and I should be uh, seeing, but I have seen um, Wings, The Star is Born, and Nothing Sacred, and have I really like all three of those movies. Yeah. And that just makes me look forward to seeing what... Um, seeing movies like The Oxbow Incident and Battleground and yeah. He's the good um, other movies of his in general. Yeah. There's another big one of his that, that, I'm, that I'm missing somehow off the top of my head, but it'll come to me. Um, the two that I uh, threw in my nominees that, that you didn't include were The Docks of New York, uh, which I thought, I think um, Orson Welles maybe gets a little more credit than he deserves with uh, inventing the the filming of light and shadows on camera um i think i think the docks of new york i think joseph von sternberg kind of did it first with um the mist that that he captures in the i think of when the priest shows up to marry the two uh the docks worker and the woman who tried to commit suicide early in the movie 
and the priest is kind of just walking along the, the side of the docks, and there's that incredible mist that just saturates the entire frame, and, and even when they're um, in the ship and there's all the steam, and it's just a beautiful looking movie. There's some beautiful feelings in that movie too, but, but they're, they're totally matched by, um, by how beautifully it's filmed. Um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, the Docks of New York, that's Joseph von Sternberg, and so is The Last Command. So I have, I have two, uh, Joseph von Sternbergs in, in my best. Yeah, movie. he was an incredible visual stylist. Yeah, oh my god, he was incredible. And um, Burke Lennon and Harold Rawson are two of the greatest cinematographers of their era. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, and then the one, another one that, uh, I included was Lonesome, which... Um, I think Paul, that's a name I'm going to mess up. I think it's Paul Fejos, Fejos, Hungarian director. Um, uh, incredibly, incredibly beautiful movie. And I think he did a lot of revolutionary things uh, with Lonesome. And um, just the way he superimposes different images on top of each other. I'm thinking of when the couple is finally on Coney Island and they're on all the different roller coasters and attractions and they're just kind of superimposed onto each other and and the way the camera just kind of roves around. Um, it was very experimental in its age and I do believe Paul Fejos gets credit for the first crane shot uh, a year later uh, in 1929 when he directed Broadway. Um, so he was an incredibly an incredibly visual director and um, so Lonesome ends up in my nominees. That was actually the last movie I saw before we did this, um, before, before right now, when we're doing this episode right now. Yeah, was lonesome. And it, it's an incredibly visually interesting movie. It's, I would almost, I would, I would almost call it a piece of art. It probably yeah. is. Yeah. Totally. There's just so much going on and it's just constantly captivating to watch. Yeah, yeah. And striking. Yeah, I strongly considered it. Unfortunately, didn't make any nominations for me, but it was close. Well, I included Lonesome so that you could include Sadie Thompson, and then we get the best of all the worlds. Yeah. <laughs> so for best um, adapted screenplay, my nominees are The Patsy. Mm. Sadie Thompson, The Man Who Laughs, The Wind, and A Woman of Affairs. And, yeah. So, The Patsy, I just... I'm just finding myself really liking this brand of screwball comedy. And... And I think um, Agnes Christine Johnson, the screenwriter, really um, helps to make that um, film go down very well. Just the way she plays out these scenarios, brought to life marvelously by Marion Davies, it's just a whole lot of fun. And... Um, for Sadie Thompson, um, Raul Walsh um, does a lot with a very minimalistic setting and really does a good job um, setting up 
um, um, the titular character and everyone she interacts with. The man who laughs um, really expresses the tragic expressionist story at the center. Um, the wind really, um, uh, sorry for my limited vocabulary, but, um, again, it is just, um, a haunting piece of work. And a lot of it is, um, due to Francis Marion's script. And a woman of affairs, um, you could say, um, it is dated in a certain way, like some Greta Garbo movies, but it, I think it does a really good job, um, as a sort of operatic melodrama that, um, you would see in a lot of, uh, um, Garbo movies. And, this is one I found really enjoyable. So yeah. Sounds great. Um thoughts on them? Yeah, I mean I totally agree with everything you said about Sadie Thompson, which I think it's one of my favorites of nineteen twenty eight, as we'll find out as we keep reading uh, more and more of our nominees. Um, I think what's so cool about Gloria, Gloria Swanson is that she wrote Sadie Thompson. And she did it, it's adapted, but she adapted it. And I think that's just incredible how, how involved she was in that movie and just um, how um, pure and concise and striking her, her vision for that film was and how she was able to uh, bring it out, not only with her performance, but through the actual screenplay that she helped write. I didn't know she actually helped write it, but... Yeah, I believe... Hang on, I'm just confirming with the the internet. But I think her and Raoul Walsh uh, wrote it together, her and uh, the director. Um, I, I think she produced it, but I think it was just um, Raoul Walsh who wrote it, oh, but I could Okay, okay. Yeah, that might have been my, my uh, mistake. But, um, yeah... Yeah, great, great screenplay, great screenplay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I totally, um, totally uh, second everything you said about the wind as well, which uh, yeah, a little piece of work. And I haven't actually seen the Patsy, the Man Who Laughs, or A Woman of Affairs, so I'm, I got some catching up to do. Yeah, those are good movies, and I imagine you'll find something valuable out of all of them. Especially with the man who laughs if you're into like German expressionism. It's my favorite. That's my favorite genre of film. I'm I actually haven't seen a whole lot of it, but from what I have seen, it looks really interesting. Yeah. It's like something that I might grow on to. Yeah. Um Yeah. I so what are your nominees? Yeah. Oh, oh you go ahead. No no no. It's you you, you summarized it. Um, so my nominees for Best Adapted Screenplay were Beggars of Life, William A. Wellman film, 
uh, in old Arizona, uh, The Racket, Sadie Thompson, and The Wind were my five. Um, so I won't talk about Sadie Thompson or The Wind, because uh, we covered it. But um, the one, I, one I'd really like to talk about is Beggars of Life, which um, I love William A. Wellman. Um, and yeah, just just a really great, uh, really great underrated movie. I don't think people really talk about it, and it totally, totally holds up. And if there was a Best Supporting Actor category um, in this year, then I think Wallace Beery's performance as Oklahoma Red would hands down be the takeaway winner. Um, it's an incredibly beautiful film about these two vagabonds who kind of meet up on the road and fall in love and and get into trouble with some uh, with some homeless folk. Um, it's a great movie. It's a great um, movie. Just um to interject. Um, yeah. Is Wallace Beery really supporting in that? Because um from all the credits I've seen, he's top build. He's and... yeah. He's top build, I think, because he was the biggest star. Um. He's, I think he's, his role is, his role is very much supporting in terms of how it functions within the narrative and in terms of screen time, I would say. Uh, I just asked because I haven't seen the movie. What was that? I just asked because I haven't seen the movie. Actually. Yeah. Um, so he's, so we, we meet these two, they're not lovers right away, but we meet these two, um, a man and a woman, um, and we're with them for like, at least the first half hour and it's, it's their story. And then Wallace Beery shows up and kind of helps them. Uh through their journey. He's kind of, and it's, and it's such, but it's such a great role. And that's probably, it's, it's, it's probably similar to maybe Olivia Coleman in The Favorite, where it just consumes the entire movie. Um, and he's, he's simultaneously protagonist and antagonist and yeah. And it's Wallace Beery and it's, it's. I've seen, um, I've seen some Wallace Beery movies like, um, uh, The Big House and The Champ. I really liked them in both, yeah. so I look forward to seeing Vendors of Life. It's yeah, been... and, and for me, it was my first time seeing Wallace Beery in a silent movie, and it's it's amazing how his charisma just shines through without any dialogue. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. So check it you out. You can get going with some nominees. Um, in Old Arizona is really just there kind of um, I had a spot to fill in old in old Arizona qualified, but it, in all fairness, there is there is some surprises in that screenplay, and, and it does take take some twists, um, especially near the end when characters' loyalties kind of start to shift unexpectedly. Um, and it did. I mean, you got to give it credit for kind of um, revolutionizing or helping birth the western genre. Um, I mean, there's lots to say about that movie. Uh, negative things to say about that movie, but. Um, I think I think at its core it is it is competently written and and there is some surprises and for a movie from 1928, for a talkie from 1928, it's it's interesting and it and it keeps you in, engaged, which which you can't quite say for every movie from 1928. My biggest familiarity with an old Arizona is like listening to the and the runner up biz episode with Kevin Jacobson. He talked about it with Tom O'Brien and they had a lot of things to say about that um movie. Yeah. Like just in terms of how um 
how the filmmakers were struggling to transition from silent to talky, how they would focus on weird things such as like eggs frying in a pan. Yeah. And I think they mentioned a scene of a character in a bathtub, but I could be wrong. Yep. Um, they also just mentioned how 1929 was just an awful year for movies. Um, because the Boulder was qualified for the second Oscars, which was 1928, 29. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I honestly have never seen um, most of the Oscar nominated movies from 1929 because I just dread that dread seeing that year. Um, it, it's it's a pretty awkward year just because yeah, everyone was trying to figure out how to make sound work. But I think if you have a strong foundation in silent film, I think I think it's I think 1929 can be interesting because you can kind of see how they were working through those those problems and how things that worked in silent film didn't necessarily work when we added sound. Um, so it's it's an interesting study to watch 1929 films, even though you might not be entertained per se. Like a lot of people give the Broadway melody a hard time, but I actually think that's an impressive movie in many ways because because of what they were up against and what they managed to figure out. That's a good summarization. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, in old Arizona, the other thing I'd add is is it's it's pretty racist and it's pretty misogynistic, <laughs> so, which is which is not great. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it, it has that against it, which is a pretty strong deal breaker for me. You can call me a social uh, justice warrior. I don't care. It's right. That's yeah. That that's not a problem at all. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we're on the same page with that. Um, and quickly, I'll add uh, the racket, which was another Lewis Milestone movie. He did a lot around that time. Um, also, another strong contender for uh, best supporting actor with uh, Lewis uh, Volheim. Uh, his gangster in that movie is just so great. Uh, but it's adapted off of a play, and um, it's there's some pretty impressive stuff in that movie. It's uh, it's worth watching. The racket. Which I think also, we're talking about 1929, I th or maybe it was 1928, it was nominated for Best Picture. I can't quite remember, but... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what are the other nominees? And then Sadie Thompson and the Wind. And I'll just, I'll refer to you, because you said it perfectly. Uh, what was great about those movies. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, um, I guess I'll just... I don't want to just repeat myself, but... You know what I said about Bosa Wind and Sadie Thompson. They're incredible movies um, with a lot of nuance. Yeah. And they know how to use the visual medium so well. And capturing the leading ladies' faces, yeah. they're just marvelous. Yeah. And I think. Maybe... What was your first? Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say kind of what, what was so great about The Wind, and it's kind of tied into the art direction too, is is the use of motifs in that movie. Like how the sand is always blowing and there's always, it, the, the narrative keeps coming back to that. And, and the way um, that running, that wild running horse, uh, the image of that keeps coming back. There's, there's all these motifs that are simultaneously at play in The Wind. Um, and it, it balances them so well, and they be, all become so meaningful by the end. How how Lillian Gish's character is kind of lost in this wilderness and is trying to to find her way uh, into it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what was your first nominee again? I somehow forgot that. Beggars of Life. Oh yeah, Beggars of Life. My guy, William A. Wellman. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a mostly strong set of nominees. Um, the Racket, um, I think, is kind of a standard gangster movie. Yeah. Um, in many ways. I guess if you want to get into the um gangster genre, it's not a bad place to start, but it's kind of just there for me. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, um, I, I agree. It kind of it kind of becomes somewhat middling in its second half, but I think kind of um everything from the beginning where they're kind of shooting at that cop um right up until uh when uh I can't remember the gangster's name, but Lewis the Lewis Volheim character, he like uh, invites the police to um that party and there's kind of a shootout and I think everything within that first act was really was really well done and really well written and well balanced and I definitely agree that it's uh, not not the finest of what 1928 had to offer. But. So, next up is Best Original Screenplay, and I nominated The Circus, The Crowd, The Docks of New York, The Last Command, and Wings. Um, First off, what's interesting is that um, the Docks of New York and Wings had, both had the same uh, co-author, John Monk Saunders. And I just kind of think it's interesting seeing the contrast in those two stories. One is fairly intimate, the Docks of New York, while the other has a more epic scale. And just going through all of them, the circus is just textbook slapstick um has a great sense of heart that you would expect from Charlie Chaplin and i think it's just captures a sense of wonder that you associate with Charlie Chaplin in such a great way and i definitely think it's overall a very underrated Charlie Chaplin film um the crowd really um introduces some biting commentary and great sense of sympathy and empathy for its lead characters which i loved the docks of new york um really gives a sense of the working class and the romance taking place in between that setting the last command um Again, it it knows it's a melodrama and epic and tragic and all those things. And it does a good job um, tracking through all its narrative steps, showing us how this leader fell from grace and trying to make a second life in this Hollywood setting and eventually losing what he has in the end. It's a sad story made very entertaining. And Wings is just almost idealistic in its epicness and its romance and the camaraderie between the men in that movie, which I loved.
yeah, those are my thoughts. Well, I something amazing has happened. Those are all of my five choices as well. And I agree with everything you had to say. Do you have anything more to say about them? Yeah, just maybe the two things I'd like to add. I, just the circus, I totally agree. It's one of the most underrated Charlie Chaplin movies. And I think for me, it has some of his favorite, my most favorite bits of his, like the mirror sequence when he's like evading the cops through the house of mirrors. Um, incredible. Yeah, that's, that's a great scene. It's yeah. very clever and again, another great, um, use of visual imagery. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the finale when he's on like the tightrope and, um, he thinks he's wired, but he's not, um, <laughs> has got to be one of, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in a Charlie Chaplin movie besides maybe modern times. Yeah, that's a great scene. Very funny. Yeah. And I think maybe what makes the circus so special, and I know Charlie Chaplin's bit has always been that um, he's, uh, there's there's always pathos in Charlie Chaplin movies, right? Like that's kind of why he's so well known for mixing the slapstick with the heartfelt. Um, but it was kind of the first time, for that's me cool. anyway, maybe I haven't seen enough, where um, he becomes like the selfless hero uh, when he kind of lets the girl go with, with the guy at the end. He kind of gives her up. He kind of forfeits his own happiness um and i just i just thought that was so incredible and um maybe maybe i'm misremembering charlie chaplin's filmography but it really felt like the first time that 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 he had that persona of the selfless um giver kind of um i have actually haven't seen any of chaplin's films before the circus so I couldn't comment on that, but I do see a, sense, a common thread between this and the, the other Chaplin movies I've seen, Modern Times and City Lights. Yeah. So yeah, I can yeah. see where you're coming from on that angle. And um, I think, at, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think at the end of the circus, we get that incredible shot of him walking into the sunset alone at the end, because he, he gives up the woman he's in love with. Um, and he's walking alone. And then when, when we get to Modern Times, which was kind of the end of the silent era officially. Well, it was the end of the silent era already, but the end of silent filmmaking um, with modern times was kind of the last major silent film. And it's it's kind of the same shot. It's a parallel shot, but he's with the girl at the end. He gets the uh, Paulette Goddard character at the end. So just that symmetry with uh, the circus when he's walking off alone into the sunset, um, kind of saying goodbye to the silent age as it was and then in 1936 eight years later when he's walking off with Paulette Goddard kind of officially saying goodbye to silent films in general it's pretty powerful yeah yeah, yeah. that was um I think that was um Chaplin's last silent film yeah. and it does feel very much like a send-off yeah. to what we saw before of yeah. him and it's a really emotional scene very heartfelt yeah it gets me every time. Totally, totally, every time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love everything you said about the crowd. The crowd, I think, um, is just so emotional, too. Like, it's such an emotional story. And by the time that final scene rolls around, it kind of earns that final... It's, I don't want to call it a reunion, because it's not really a reunion. But it is a reunion of sorts, where husband and wife... Um, I think I think they're John and Mary Sims decide to stay together at the end. She's about to leave, and, and she decides that that she'll stay 
um, and just kind of that moment wouldn't have worked without without the rich uh, history they had um, written in the screenplay beforehand. Um, yeah, Docks of New York, beautiful. That scene where they get married is, is, is moving and touching and yeah, The Last Command, totally agree. It's Shakespearean almost, the down, the rise and downfall of the Emil Jannings character and and Wings, of course, is uh, was iconic and uh, groundbreaking, massively influential. Yeah. Uh, we agree. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. As you were reading them, I didn't expect us. I was like, oh, ooh, two for two. Oh. Yeah, I, I really <laughs> expect. Yeah, I rarely expect um, people to see eye to eye with uh, my tastes just because no two people are like are, are completely alike. Yeah. yeah. But it's cool. Yeah. And um, can I maybe throw in a, 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 I really wanted to nominate but didn't? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Was Speedy. speedy. Oh, Speedy. That's missed the cut for me. That's a, that's another really funny movie. Yeah, I think from it's, Harold it's Lloyd. Harold Lloyd's The Circus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, maybe I'm remembering. Maybe I'm not remembering correctly, but isn't there a scene with a clock, and he's dangling? Maybe there is. <laughs> so much happens uh, in that movie so fast. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember if that. I think that's Safety Last. Actually, is that Safety Last where he? Tangles off the clock. But it's been a while since I've seen Speedy, but a lot of the stuff still I can still remember. Yeah. I feel enough of it. Um, so for best actress, if we want to move on to that. Let's. Um, I have nominated Betty Compson for the Docks of New York, Marion Davies for the Patsy, Gloria Swanson for Sadie Thompson. Lillian Gish for The Winds, and Greta Garbo for A Woman of Affairs. Um, I think all five of these actresses, um, well, let's just go through them individually. Um, Betty Compton, I think, brings a sort of sweetness and sincerity to her role. Yeah. Um, and manages to be on the same level as the male protagonist throughout. Um, Marion Davies is just pure comedy gold throughout the Patsy. And she's just so funny. I'm glad I managed to see both this and um, show people. She's just A-grade um, comedic actress. She's just it's an incredible performance of comedy. Sadie Thompson, um, Floyd Swanson's very glamorous there. She just has such a charisma to her and also manages to um, imbue, her, uh, imbue Sadie with sense of defiance, um, almost some desperation. Yeah. It's a very powerful role. Lillian Gish, a lot of her um, performance boils down to just her face, her expressiveness, just the looks she gives. 
the way she uses her eyes. It's a very natural performance from her. And Garbo has um a sen- brings a sense of darkness to our character and leans well uh, leans into the um tragicness of her character quite effectively. So yeah. Um uh there were some others I considered, like Janet Gaynor for Street Angel and some others that are um and Claire Bell for Wings and some others that um are probably escaping my mind, but yeah, at the end of the day I settled on these through uh, five. Yeah. That's great. No, I guess That's I really great. gotta see there's some of those uh women of affairs, the Patsy, and I think that's another one you mentioned and I the title escapes my mind. Um I think the Marion Davies one. For, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. 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 I got some movies to watch. Blue Angel. Yeah, that's the one that's... I Blue Angel. Did you? You said Blue Angel, right? I did mention Blue Angel. Yeah, um, yeah. Wait, wait, no, that's not a Greg Garfo movie. That's a Marlene Dietrich movie. Okay. Well, sorry, just got confused for a moment. But yeah, I guess we both have yet to see the Blue Angel. It is available on YouTube, so shouldn't be that. Eh, so we can cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember the actresses you said. I just couldn't remember their movies. Um, yeah. Yeah. Good choices. No, I have I have some of those choices as well. So. So what are your nominees? Um, I I have Eleanor Boardman for the crowd. Uh, Clara Bow for Wings, uh, Betty Compson in the Docks of New York, Lillian Gish in The Wind, and Gloria Swanson in Sadie Thompson were my five. That's a really good lineup. And again, I also considered Eleanor Boardman, and it was hard to take it, take her off, but it I'm, was just... Yeah. You go ahead. No, I was going to say I was so surprised by the Eleanor Boardman uh, character and performance. She she doesn't get to show your role. It's definitely, I think, James Murray is his name, uh, who he's the lead male, and he gets all the, the heavy dramatic stuff to do. And, and Eleanor Boardman, unfortunately, for the, common to the age, but it's unfortunate that she's the wife, but she does so much with that role. Just the depth of... Um, love and uh just personhood she brings to it uh is so moving and and so beyond what i expected from the wife role yeah i i agree with everything you said about that yeah um it is a very um more complex role than honestly it has any right to be yeah considering where things could possibly go with honestly kind of a thankless role it could have been a totally thankless role. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking um, of, the, of the scene where um her and uh, where they've they've been married for some time and they're starting to get tired of each other. The honeymoon phase has ended and they're starting to bicker and and they have a fight over breakfast. He kind of says something like "You can't do anything right," or she does something minor that that uh, ticks him off and and he storms out of out of the apartment and and she kind of has this moment of. And who even knows what's running through her mind because her face just expresses 
so much. It's like there's pain and, and sadness and grief and, and anger and and she's watching him leave and and you don't really know what she's thinking until she calls out the window and and tells him to come back up and he comes running back up and and she she reveals that she's actually pregnant. Um, and just just that moment is is an incredible feat of acting, of silent acting. She communicated all of that with just a facial, a facial expression. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah, great on all that. Yeah. Uh, Clara Bowen Wings, I just thought was such a fun performance, which you wouldn't really expect to say about the the female lead in a role in a war movie. Um, but like she's she starts off as kind of like the doe-eyed girl next door, and then she becomes like the really autonomous um, and go-getting uh, uh, field nurse uh, in the in the war in Europe, and and then she kind of has that kind of dramatic arc where um it's, it's very timely it's a it's a very timely commentary on how women were were treated uh at in at that time and during the first world war where um she's in uh that um the male leads i think it's charles rogers is the actor um in his apartment room his hotel room and she has her clothes off and and the military says oh that's that's indecent of you and she loses everything that she worked so hard for um just a really great medieval i thought very feminist in a way yeah um, I, yeah sorry. good points yeah. up there totally agree with everything you said about betty compson her sweetness and and all that and uh kind of me and i agree everything you said about gloria swanson and sadie thompson she's just incredible in that role uh and lillian gish in the wind i think does an incredible job with um with that arc, how she starts off as the the frightened and inexperienced girl from Virginia, all doe-eyed and hopeful for her life out west, and then is very quickly disillusioned and is somewhat abused and um, ends up in an unhappy marriage. And then by the end of the film, she totally comes into herself and is a strong, uh, defiant woman who, who will not be taken down by the wind. Um, it's just an incredible, incredible performance, especially near the end when she's kind of losing her mind a little bit. Um, I don't want to spoil the movie too much, but um, she be the crime that haunts her. Yeah, it's definitely a very haunting performance, and I do like your lineup a lot. Thank you. Um, I'll have to check out more of your. This was, yeah, this was a strong year. Yeah, like when you look at. Um, what there really was. Yeah. Um, so next up, we have Best Actor, and my nominees are Charlie Chaplin in The Circus, Buster Keaton, uh, Keaton in The Cameraman, Emil Jennings in The Last Command, Harold Lloyd in Speedy, and Conrad Vates, I think is, is how you pronounce yeah. it, yeah. in The Man Who Laughs. Um, I'll just start off with Conrad Bate because he really commits to the role of the titular character and gives an appropriately creepy performance that is also devastating. Yeah. Like, he really em embodies the outcast that is this character. And 
you just emphasize, emphasize and feel for this character in large part thanks to um, Bates' performance. And I'll just kind of mention Chaplin, Keaton, and Lloyd in um, the same sort of description of them three uh, of those three performances because they're all um, slapstick comedies. Um, what I like about all of them is like the physical commitment that each of them again they just commit to the bits, and there's just a physicality to their performances that is very well suiting for the sort of zany comedy that they are doing. And individually, they both, they all embody what is best known about them, Buster Keaton and his cynicism, Charlie Chaplin and his sentimentality. Um, Harold Lloyd is just pure entertainment. And yeah, I love them all. Um, and you can definitely see why they're um, they are so synonymous with the silent cinema, just with these three movies. And um, Emil Jannings for The Last Command, again, such an expressive performance. And he's just so, he says so much with just his face. It is striking just how well this performance is held up. So yeah, five great performances, and I love them all. Yeah, yeah. I love what you said about Emil Jennings. Um, yeah. Yeah, and at the end of the day, um, like when it came down to finalizing my list, I felt pretty comfortable about these three, like even though there were some others that I considered, like James Murray, he's really good in the crowd. And um, I also um, consider the lead of Wings. He's also pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I considered James Murray too. And yeah, he didn't make the cut. Something about that performance just isn't top five worthy, but he, that's not to underscore what a great job he does in that movie. Yeah. As the everyman. Yeah. 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 I do think, uh, um, like, sort of everyman personas can sometimes be underappreciated. Yeah. Especially when they're, like, done exceedingly well. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are your nominees? Uh, we have a lot of the same. Um, I'll just right off the bat say, I almost had your trinity of slapstick with uh, Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Harold Lloyd. One of them did not make the cut, and it was very sad to me that they did not. Um, but I'll read them out. So uh, I, my, my five for best actor were George Bancroft in the Docks of New York, um, Lionel Barrymore in Sadie Thompson, uh, Charlie Chaplin in The Circus, Emile Jannings in The Last Command, and then Buster Keaton in Steamboat Bill Jr. Um, yeah, so those are my five. Should I talk about them a bit? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Feel free to interject if I ramble too long. Um, no problem. George Bancroft first in the Docks of New York. It's, it's a, that's another one maybe just kind of along the same lines of, of James Murray where it's kind of really easy to take that performance for granted 
And he, I think he has a lot of physicality that he brings to that role, not necessarily in the sense that he does a lot of physical things, but he just physically fits the role so well, that, that gruff, tough docks worker. And then what's so brilliant about that performance is how by the end of the movie, he's not, he's not what his exterior is anymore. He, he totally becomes a softie halfway through the movie, or maybe not even halfway, just kind of in that final act. And, and we expect him to be a jerk, and we expect him to, to mess Betty Compson's character up and to not be loyal to her. Um, but then he has that, that awakening, and, and I think George Bancroft um, really beautifully played that whole journey, and, and it's made even more uh, potent by the fact that he doesn't look like the type that's going to become a softie by the end of the movie. Yeah, I agree on all those things. Um, I, again, George Bancroft is another one I really considered. Yeah. Um, just barely missed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You go ahead with the rest of your nominees. Yeah. So uh, Lionel Barrymore and Sadie Thompson, I just, that, that movie in general floored me. And that, that the padded between Gloria Swanson and Lionel Barrymore, I just thought was probably the most incredible back and forth between two actors I've seen in ever. It's definitely up there. I yeah, just in, in, an incredibly sadistic character, uh, but he's also charismatic, um, and you can just feel his his lechery and his evil. Uh, through the screen without without hearing a single word we can just hear how menacing he is and that performance really floored me um charlie chaplin i'll just reflect everything you said just incredible slapstick incredible physicality just no one could do it like charlie chaplin yeah yeah um emile jannings again agree totally expressive um what what's so great about the last command uh in particular is, is he's really playing two roles, Emil Jennings. He's, he's, the, he's the, um, the beat down, uh, weary actor in Hollywood, and he's kind of this esteemed um, grand general in Russia. And it's, it's two totally different characters, but, but they're the same man, and Emil Jennings makes them the same person, you know? Um, yeah. Incredible. And then that final scene where he kind of loses his mind is one of the best, I'd say, um, of yeah. 1928. And then I, Buster Keaton, I gave it to him for Steamboat Bill Jr. Uh, instead of the cameraman, which is also a fine choice, uh, the cameraman. But what I love about Steamboat Bill Jr. is it's just so ballsy. And so I think, I don't think his Buster Keaton's deadpan has worked so well as it did um in steamboat bill jr just especially with that third act when everything is literally falling apart around him and he's yeah <laughs> that's yeah. always a good yeah. way to mind comedy just a character reacting nonchalantly yeah everything falling apart around him yeah yeah it's yeah no one no one had deadpan like buster keaton and he, he nails it. And I, I really, uh, yeah, I feel strongly that Steamboat Bill Jr. is probably the best use of his, his deadpanness. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those were my five. And the one that I really wanted room for was Harold Lloyd in Speedy. Yeah. But what you have is an, a great lineup. 
that shows the strength of this year. Totally. Yeah. And yeah, it's just very impressive list of performances, but I haven't seen Steamboat Well Jr., which I wish to correct at some point in the future. It's it's a brief one. I think it's only like 70 minutes or something, if that. Maybe even 60. Might even just be an hour. Uh, yeah. Um. So for best director, next yeah. up, we have um. Uh, my nominees are King Vidor for the crowd, Joseph von Sternberg for the Last Command, Victor Jostrom for the wind. I think that's how you pronounce it. But I could be wrong. Yeah. William A. Wong for wings, and Clarence Brown for A Woman of Affairs. Um, as for Clarence Brown, I think that he does a good job, um, just, um, adding a sense of, adding more gravitas to this, um, story than there might have been uh, without, um, his, uh, his sort of touch that he adds. And... With William A. Wallman, his direction of wings just brings the whole movie to life and makes it spectacular and also focuses on the human elements um, very successfully. Yeah. I found the character, most of the characters, very engaging. And then there's um, Victor Jostrom's direction of the wind, which Again, does a great job. Uh, he does a great job focusing on the fi- focusing on the finer details, um, throughout the movie, because the setting is so minimalistic. Yeah. So he really has a job of um, making that locale work, and giving us um a very meditative bent in that genre. Yeah. Okay. And then there's um, King Vidor. Um, his direction of the crowd is very humanistic, as he often is throughout his um, career and filmography. And he does a lot, uh, he does a good job um, tracking how things don't turn out the way um, our main character expects and. He eventually has to settle for something that is less ambitious, but hopefully um, can be satisfying for him. And he does capture the sadness, but also beauty that um, that such a life can bring. And it's an, it's just a great movie all around. Um, in large part, thanks to King Vidor's direction. So yeah, those are my thoughts. Excellent. Great lineup of directors. Yeah. Um, I did consider um like Ted Wald for Speedy, Charlie Chaplin for the Circus, um, and uh, I'm for- kind of forgetting his name. I think his name is Paul Lenny for the Man Who Laughs. Um. Yeah, there were some really brilliantly directed movies. A lot, yeah. in fact. Yeah. Um, I'd even throw uh, Raoul Walsh for Sadie Thompson in there. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, he didn't make my too. nominees either, but he was one that I strongly considered. So yeah. Yeah. Those are my nominees. Good what stuff. are yours? So my uh, my five, and again, yeah, I'm also thinking of Lewis Milestone um, for uh, the Garden of Eden, which I thought was beautiful, and um, uh, Joseph von Sternberg, not for The Last Command, but for The Docks of New York, were all fantastically directed films. Um, they did not get nominees from me. Um, my five were uh, Victor Sjorstrom for The Wind, uh, Joseph von Sternberg for The Last Command, King Vidor for The Crowd, um, William A. Wellman for Wings. So we were we were pretty uh, in line with that. And then uh, I haven't seen A Woman of Affairs, so I uh, I went with Ted Wilde and Speedy or for Speedy. For my five. Yeah, that's a worthy five lineup. Um, Ted Wilde does a great job um, directing a slapstick comedy. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen, I think that's the only movie of his I've, I've seen, but maybe he's, he was more of an underrated slapstick comedy director than we might realize. Yeah. Like, maybe I just need to see more of his movies. Yeah. There's so many clever touches in Speedy, which, which I, I give credit to Ted Wilde. Um, yeah, just that movie is so quick and so, so, so many brilliant little things that happen on screen. Um, yeah. And maybe if I can just throw in a personal grievance that at the Oscars, there was Ted Wilde for Speedy, Charlie Chaplin for The Circus, and the Oscar went to Lewis Milestone for two Arabian Nights. For yeah, we'll get, to the we'll get to the actual ceremony <laughs> later, but okay. that is sort of an odd choice. Oh my god. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I agree with everything you said. My extra choice would be uh, Ted Wilde for Speedy. Um, and maybe actually one thing I'd like to add, just going to King Vidor for the crowd, and maybe uh, how do you feel about this assessment? I feel like King Vidor was very, like, maybe the Steven Spielberg of his age in the sense where he goes for really big sentiment and it feels earned. Uh, I, embarrassingly, I haven't seen enough of Spielberg's movies to really um, sign off on that assessment, mm -hmm. but... I mean, they are very um, different directors, but I feel like they go, they go, they go for the big heart. I could, I could see that. Yeah. I could see how you could make that um, comparison. But again, I haven't seen enough of Spielberg's filmography, so I don't feel comfortable, um, like having uh, a confirmed thought on that um, assessment. But that's okay. Well, I'll see how. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. I could see how you could make that assessment. Yeah. Or comparison. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Great directors. Great yeah. movies. Yeah. So, for best picture. The big one. Uh, my nominees are The Circus, The Crowd, The Last Command, Wings, and the wind. I um yeah, these were my five not uh five nominated movies for best picture. Um, there were some others I considered like A Woman of Affairs, The Man Who Laughs, The Patsy, um, some others that are not coming to mind so easily. But yeah, 
these were the five I settled on. It's a great, great five. Yeah. What are your nominees? Oh, wait. We, um, yeah, sorry. Well, but never mind. You go ahead. Okay. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. Okay. Um, we're, we're almost, we're pretty in line. Um, I also have The Circus, The Crowd, The Last Command, uh, I Go Speedy, and The Wind. We're my five. Uh, I was just um, considering giving thoughts, but I think I've already given my thoughts enough on the five films I nominated, so I feel like I'd be a bit redundant just doing that again. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe one movie I'd like to comment on a little more is Speedy, because I feel like Speedy, I totally had no reference to in any of my other nominations um, until right at the end I give it the big two of director and picture. Speedy is one of my favorites of 1928, actually. Um, it was one of the only movies, or one, not one of the only, but one of the few movies that feels truly modern, uh, where I was surprised by all of the choices that the director and the cast made. Um, it was totally entertaining. Um, it almost felt like a Saturday morning serial or something. Um, yeah, I just, I thought it was a brilliant movie, and I couldn't believe I went into it, like I do with most movies, with kind of no expectations of what, what's going to happen, and it just totally blew me away. Yeah, that's something I also do, like, um, like having, like, um, like, no expectation of what's going to happen, and yet somehow I have this idea in my head of maybe this will be how it plays out, but then it surprises me. Yeah. The movie I'm watching was how it does turn out. Yeah. Yeah. I try to go into every movie blind. I don't watch trailers. I don't read reviews before I see a movie. Um, I like to know Same. nothing. And figure like, out. I'm a bit more lenient in that sense, but I do like to, um, like, even if I read, like, Wikipedia, like, I can take so little from that. Yeah. Um, yeah that it doesn't ruin my experience. Yeah, good, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I guess now we can move on to our winners, starting back in reverse order. Sounds with great. With our direction. And now I'll let you list your winners first. Cool. In order, like, or we're gonna go Like back in reverse order. order, starting with our direction, ending with picture. Cool. So, uh, all of my winners were... No, 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 wait, we'll, we'll, we'll just go one winner at a... My okay. bad. Okay. okay, One winner at a time. Gotcha. So, uh, for best art direction, I go... I even surprised myself. The Garden of Eden. Kind of the one movie I couldn't stop thinking about, visually. I can see that from what you've described. It sounds yeah. like a very beautiful, visually stunning movie. Yeah. I went with the crowd... Just the way they made the offices look. Yeah. It reminds me so much of the apartments and the way the city looks. Yeah. It's just grand. It's a great choice. Next up is cinematography. Best cinematography? This is another choice that surprised me. Uh, the Docks of New York was my winner. That's a good choice. Yeah. Um, 
I did nominate that, but it was I did strongly consider it. Um, my winner is the Last Command. I think Brooke Lennon is a master. Um, he also shot the Scarlet Empress, which would also be my personal winner in 1934 for cinematography. Spoilers ahead of time. Um, but I'm sure people will forget by that point. <laughs> in five more episodes. Yeah, but whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. But yeah, and Stagecoach, just all of them are beautiful to look at. Stagecoach, yeah. yeah. He's an incredible cinematographer. And this is an incredibly uh, shot, incredible looking movie. Yeah. So next up is best adapted screenplay. Adapted screenplay, uh, I give to another one of my absolute favorites of 1928, Sadie Thompson. Uh, I gave it to The Wind. Good choice. I feel like you can't go wrong with Francis Marion. Yeah. But Raoul Walsh is also right up there. He's great, too. Yeah. So for best original screenplay. This was this is a tough one. I think this is the category we agreed on all five. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it was a hard choice. I ultimately went with The Last Command. Same here. Yeah. 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 I, I really wish I could tie with The Circus. But, um, the Last Command. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, not much more to say, but it's a great movie. Um, um, so... Next up, Best Actress. And our winners are... Sadie Thompson, Gloria Swanson, as... Yeah. Yep. Great performance. I can see why you went with her. Yeah. I actually went in a bit of a surprising move. Greta Garbo for A Woman of Affairs. Nice. Well, I'll really have to watch that one then. Yeah. Um... There's just something about her presence that captivates me. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Despite her um having a set of mannerisms, she does sell it very well. Yeah. I actually so, haven't seen a single uh, silent Garbo film. Ah, uh, what Garbo movies have you seen? Nanachka, off the top of my head, and surely there's more. Great. What's, what's, um, was she Anna Karenina? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to Wikipedia her. Yeah. There's got to be another one. Um, maybe Camille? I haven't seen Camille. Ah, uh, it's okay. But <laughs> no. Grand Hotel, Grand Hotel. Yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, Grand Hotel is good. Sorry, I'm on her Wikipedia. Those might be the only three I've seen, actually. Ah. Uh. Yeah. There's also Queen Christina, which I really like from her. Queen Christina, yeah. Okay, so next, Best Actor, and our winners are... My winner was not even in your nominees, and it's my bias towards how much I love this movie. Uh, Lionel Barrymore and Sadie Thompson. 
great choice. Um, Lionel Barrymore is an incredible actor. Yeah. I really like his perform his Oscar winning performance in uh, A, A Free, Free Soul. Soul. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's also great in films like You Can't Take It With You. Um, yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. There's so many yeah. iconic performances. There are, there are, and Drew um, Barrymore's grandfather. Yeah. And, which is cool. Yeah. I um, think it's her grandfather. Well, they are related. Yes, somehow. Um, so my winner is Emil Jennings for The Last Command. I mean, you can't go wrong with that choice. That was yeah. that, that was a really tough choice for me between Emil Jennings and uh, Lionel Barrymore. Yeah. 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 Emil Jennings. Yeah, yeah. You go ahead. No, just just that's it's an incredible performance. It's an incredible performance. Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean say what you all about him as a person. He did go on to um shoot a bunch of Nazi propaganda films, which is not cool. So unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. His performance here is just one of the best I've seen in this silent era. I, um, if I can uh, add kind of maybe a little, not an anecdote, I guess, but a personal preference. For me, I think the best performance of the silent era, hands down, is Emil Jannings in The Last Laugh from 1924. The Last Laugh. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, it's a Murnau movie. I've only vaguely heard of it, but yeah, I should see that. Yeah. Um, um, and maybe that's why I didn't go with uh, Emil Jannings because I don't think he's as good in The Last Command as he is in The Last Laugh. Um, but yeah, the, the Last Command is top notch. Yeah. Um, so next up is Best Director, and our winners are. This was another really tough one for me. Um, ultimately, I went with Victor Sjordstrom for the wind. That's a great choice. Um, you can really see how that film really yeah. legitimized the Western yeah. and also was a feminist bent, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, totally. And I like, yeah, sorry. You go ahead. No, I was just going to say, just to add to that, I loved what he did with all the different, the running motifs in that movie and how he balanced everything. And yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a work of art what he did with that. Yeah, it is a work of art. Yeah. I went with Joseph von Sternberg for The Last Command. Yeah. It's, a great it's just, it just all coalesces really beautifully. Yeah. With yeah. the, the thematic, element, the themes yeah. and the look yeah. and the performances, yeah. the operatic setting, Opera. everything about it. Operatic. Just works. Yeah. You right. go ahead. You nailed it. Yeah. Every moment Everything. in The Last Command feels like a moment. Yeah. Yeah. Everything just coalesces together marvelously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and such... for best... oh, sorry. sorry. You go ahead. I was just going to add, I, there's such a forward momentum um, in The Last Command, kind of how you're saying everything coalesces. You're totally right. Like, everything just keeps going and going and going and going and going and builds and builds and crescendos to this, like incredible finale and yeah it's a great movie good choice good choice yeah and for best picture 
our winners are? This this is another surprising one for me. I went with Speedy. And I can see why. Yeah. Like it's such a um entertaining movie. Yeah. Like often people go with what entertains them the most and and, and I think that it's so entertaining almost a hundred years later just kind of speaks to how well done it is. Yeah. Yeah. My, oh, my winner is The Last Command. Yeah. And again, I feel like this was the most satisfying um, of the 1928 uh, films that I've seen. There's just... It's probably... The one I want to rewatch the most. It's the one that stuck with me the most, even though I've only seen it one time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I totally agree. I was just gonna say, it really um has a lot of what makes Joseph von Sternberg such a unique and great director. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I. I... I agree. I think that's I, that was that was kind of my second choice was the last command, and I ultimately went with with Speedy just because of a, a personal preference. But the last command absolutely deserves that title of best. Yeah, person. yeah. Um, um, something I I love about the last command. Um, I feel like that movie has been unofficially remade in so many ways. I feel like it's Black Swan. I feel like it's a double life. Um, 1947 with Ronald Coleman, you won Best Actor for. Um, yeah, I, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, um, I, 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 I strongly believe that The Last Command, uh, the blueprint of that movie, kind of has echoed throughout cinema since then. Yeah, I don't know if you see Black Swan in The Last Command, but I certainly no. I'm a, I well, I haven't seen, I haven't even seen Black Swan, so oh, well, you're in for a treat. Yeah can't wait to see it yeah um, um i was gonna add one other thing um and it's lost me i apologize uh no worries um so yeah we went through everything that was fun. um but yeah so next we're going to talk about the actual first academy awards just anything about the ceremony and the purpose of its creation, um, and just sort of little details about it that we can make some discussion out of. Yeah. Did you have anything so, you wanted to lead with? Um, well, looking at how the ceremony took place and how winners were announced, like, yeah. I think the winners were announced like three months before the actual ceremony. But yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. You can tell this was um like a group of a lot of people within the industry testing a lot of things out for the first time in terms of how they wanted this sort of ceremony event to play out. Yeah. Hence why we have names like outstanding in categories like outstanding picture, best unique and artistic picture, yeah, best directing of a comedy picture. Yeah. Best directing of a dramatic picture. Yeah. Um, and we have 
um, best title writing, yeah. which went to Joseph Farnham for no specific film. Right, they sometimes were nominated without even uh, having the film that they were nominated for. It was just for their work in general. Yeah, and also, um, um, actors could win for multiple movies and be yeah. nominated for multiple movies. Yeah. Like, Emil Jennings didn't just win for The Last Command, he also won for The Way of All Flesh. Um, Richard Barton. Yeah, that's a lost film. If I'm I think, yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, it is. Um, it's just always sad when we lose a film. Yeah. One thing I, like, one of them I think of is, like, The Patriot by Ernst Lubitsch. Yeah. A lost film I have, I'm, I want, I'm dying to see is Four Devils by F.W. Murnau, who's my favorite director, probably. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I saw... Um, I saw Sunrise and Taboo from F.W. Murrow, and I really like both films. I also saw a City Angel, I think that's called. Yeah. Another... Or City I like that movie Girl? as well. Is it City Girl, maybe? Or is it City no, wait, I, I think it's called City Girl. Yeah, yeah. Let yeah. me see. Let me just look it up. Add, add the last laugh to your Murnau list. I think you'll be pretty pleased with that movie, especially since you're an Emil Jennings fan. Yeah. Um so um so just going over the um other interesting details about this first ceremony, like Louis B. Mayer is the founder of it. Um and his reasoning for creating the Academy Awards, founding the Academy Awards. He said, I found that the best way to handle filmmakers was to hang medals all over them. If I got cups and awards, they'd kill them to produce what I wanted. That's why the Academy Awards was created. And it, um, I'm not sure how I want to approach this because this does feel very much in line with his sort of personality. Both good and bad because he was an awful person in real life, like a child abuser, um, Possibly a rapist, um, but I do know he's a sexual predator and just an awful human being who just happened to create great art or help create an environment where great art could be created. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. And I do find it fascinating just um how the academy awards is just a bunch of elite people kind of celebrating themselves but yeah it can still be fun for a lot of people following it totally yeah and other interesting facts um cedric gibbons the art director i'm not famed art director at um for mgm he designed the crown in the wind, which we discussed today. Yeah. He designed the Academy Award trophy, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And also back then, um, tickets cost five dollars, which by twenty nineteen 
would be 74. And only 270 people were there. Um, and the ceremony only lasted 15 minutes. And I think, too, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't like an invite-only thing. It was like, a, please come. Here's tickets. Yeah. Please buy them. Yeah. Which, like, imagine we could just buy tickets to the Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't that be everyone's dream? Like, yeah. at least for people who follow. Because yeah. it's become a bit more niche in recent years yeah. to follow the Oscars. Yeah. Can I, can I maybe add on like something that. you said earlier? If you're Oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Just no, I think it's really interesting what you said about kind of um and maybe you can reset restate it about um how um the Oscars were like made for rich people basically, like for elitists. It's kind of an elitist thing. Um and I totally totally agree. And I think maybe what's what's really fascinating to me about the Oscars um is kind of how they've they've kind of they, they serve as a historical document. Like we, it's, you can see trends, not even in Hollywood, but in like American culture and American society, um, just by looking at the history of the Oscars and who won and who was nominated and who was ignored and who was snubbed. Like you can really see the entire narrative of, of not only Hollywood, but of like America uh, within the Academy Awards and, and who they did and did not award. Yeah. You can definitely see trends throughout history and a sense of, of what America was going through and feeling at the time. Yeah. I think of like how Mrs. Miniver won Best Picture during yeah. a very um in the midst of World War Two. Yeah. That movie was a patriotic totally. um morale booster. Yeah. Pretty much a borderline propaganda film, but <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. it struck a chord with people looking for some hope. Totally. And then just bouncing off of that, 1946, right after the war ended, we got the best years of our lives, where everyone was returning home from the war. Yeah, and that movie was also directed by William Wyler. It was almost the antithesis to Mrs. Miniver. There you go, yeah. How it reflected the horrors of war, and yeah. people trying to recover from that, yeah. out of that environment. Yeah. Um. And I find the fact that only 270 people um, attended the first Academy Awards interesting because that is um, basically what sort of what happened at this year's Oscars in terms of the amount of people. <laughs> but totally different circumstances, to be oh, fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's hilarious. I hadn't thought of that. Um, I also wanted to bring up... Um, um, the um, jazz singer, mm. simply because um, it was it was basically a pioneer for modern sound film. Yeah, say what you will about its content because it is dated in a lot of aspects. But um, you can definitely see um, it is at least interesting in a historical document. And Waterboro's actually received an honorary award for their achievements there. So I guess that's cool in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, oh, you sorry. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, had, I kind of have steered clear of Al Jolson. Um, I was tempted to watch The Singing Fool for um, our present purposes, but I did not make it to that. Uh, yeah. 
I feel like I was a bit too generous to the jazz singer when I first saw it, but yeah, I, I think his flaws are become, uh, became more apparent to me yeah. as time went on. Is he in blackface the whole time? Uh, no, but um, uh, people have tried. Uh, um, to be fair, the blackface isn't as bad as um some other films. I mean, it's still bad, but at least it's at least not used as overtly offensively. Yeah. Like yeah. it does at least have some interesting thematic relevance yeah. within the story. Yeah. But it's hard to get past that. Yeah. Admittedly. I think um, uh, it kind of sounds similar to what Fred Astaire does, and I think it's Swing Time. It might be Top Hat. Um, I think it it, it it is Swing Time. I think. Yeah, that's that's pretty hard to swallow. But yeah, yeah. yeah. But you um, can understand where they're coming from. They're paying tribute to a black artist. Um, yeah. And but then it's like, why did you do that? <laughs> I mean, obviously it was from a different time, but um, more. Society taught us, uh, taught people at that time that it was somehow acceptable. Yeah. But white supremacy yeah. <laughs> told people that. Was, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's um, something else I'd like to talk about too, if, uh, if you go ahead. Them. Yeah, I think something that's really interesting to me and that I always carry in my pocket when people get uh, upset and angry about the best picture winners is how there was an outstanding picture and there was an artistic picture and they went with the outstanding one instead of the artistic one. And I feel like people expect the best picture winner to be the most artistic one. But the Academy made it very clear in 1929, I guess, the following year, that artistry is not the main criteria for a best picture winner. I just think that's and interesting. And, you know, that's, mm, and I do kind of agree on, with that on concept, kind of. Yeah. Like, I feel like a best picture on some level should reflect, like, what people were most passionate about in that year, what, um. Or what was entertaining or outstanding. Yes. Yeah. What people resonated with the most in any given year. Yeah. yeah. But I do think things, I do think that's interesting. Yeah. And I do kind of see um, this uh, the initial splitting of the outstanding picture and a unique artistic unique and artistic picture as um, a fair way to reward both Wings and Sunrise. Yeah. I feel like they got recognized in the correct categories and. Yeah. You can totally and see, no, how, like, I, sorry, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say you can totally see how they both deserve to be called a best picture, and you can totally see how one is kind of more outstanding and one is more really artistic. Like, yeah. They both serve different um, ontological meanings of the word best. Yes. Yeah. Because really best is subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Best means a lot of things, depending on who you ask. Yeah, and even though the best picture was wrapped up into one category, um, 
after the, that one year, for understandable reasons, I think that this was a very good moment yeah. to start off with in history. Totally. Yeah. And um, I think, to, I, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, that was the end of my thoughts. Yeah. I think, too, and kind of the best, best picture winners are the ones that are simultaneously the most artistic films from their years and the ones that were done in the most outstanding way. Um, outstanding is kind of a broad term, but but I'm thinking of Parasite, yeah. that one last year, which was totally entertaining, but also totally artistic. Um, and it really, and I think, is one of the better Best Picture winners of the last decade. Yeah. I think of something like, um, matching what you just described, I think of something like Casablanca, which huh. was sort of an underdog back when it was first released, but as the time went by people recognized it for the masterpiece that it is yeah yeah and you go ahead no just no no keep going it it goes to show just how some best picture winners can grow in reputation yeah. more so than even when they were released back in their time yeah yeah that's a cool thought actually yeah so, um, yeah, this was a really fun episode, and I appreciate just how much we had to talk about. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, yeah, anytime. And I might like to have you back on at some point in the future. Please do not hesitate. I will happily yeah. discuss Gossers with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to um like how can how can we find you on Twitter? Cool. You can follow me at my Twitter handle, uh, that classic movie guy. Um, and I think I'm at classic movie bro. Um, or I'm on uh, Instagram. Um, James Brown likes movies. I am James Brown. That is my name, and I like movies. Um, you can also find me on Scribe Lifestyle Magazine. I am a contributor there, so you can view my profile on Scribe Lifestyle Magazine. Very cool. Um, you can find me at my Twitter handle, which is just my name, Gabe Warren. And you can also find me as at Gabe the Joker with two underscores. Um, you can also find me on Letterboxd. And if you want to follow the um, alternate Oscars page, it's, um, Twitter handle is the alternate Oscars or at alternate Oscars. And I also have an Instagram page. Um, I think it's just my name. And um, if you type in, I think it's Gabriel Warren 775 with two dots in between. Um, I think you can find me by that. However, I don't use Instagram very often. So I'm not sure how useful that might be but yeah um those are the ways you can find me um james again it was so fun having you on this was such a great episode thank you gabe you're welcome thank you um um please rate and review this podcast so we can get some visibility Thank you all, 
Until the next episode, see you all next time.